Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Podcast One presents The Doctor and Mrs. Guinea Pig Show with Heather and Terry Dubrow. Does it work or is it a crock? No worries. Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig are on the case. This is Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig. I'm Heather Dubrow. And I'm Terry. <laughs> oh, you're such a pain in the ass. You know that? <laughs> I'm Terry Dubrow. How are you? Whatever. We're back in the studio. I have to close these curtains. What do you mean, whatever? The United States of whatever? That, that kind of whatever or what? Uh-oh, she's closing the curtains, everyone. Forgive the noise, the sound effects. Right, sorry. So... I just did something I would never do in our house. I pulled the curtain with my hand instead of using the, <laughs> the little pulley thing. Hey, if you're a mom or a pet owner or both, you know how hard it is to keep anything clean, especially rugs. So either you have an old, ugly rug that you don't mind getting dirty, or you have a beautiful rug that costs a fortune that you have to guard 24-7 to keep it looking nice and keep everyone off of it. That is until ruggable. Ruggable rugs are machine washable. I mean, literally, throw it in the wash, throw it in the dryer, lay it back like new. I mean, even an 8x10 area rug fits in a standard washer-dryer. I Trust me, I've tried it. It comes out like new. Ruggable, that's Ruggable with two Gs, has a patented two-piece system with a high-quality, soft, low-pile rug that clings to a non-slip, easily removable pad. All Ruggable rugs are resistant to spills and stains. Pour coffee, wine, juice, just about anything without any stress. And they are non-toxic, making them completely safe for your kids and pets. Check out their designer-created styles, ranging from boho chic to traditional and modern, all made in the U.S. Like the one I got from Ruggable has these beautiful diamond patterns. I've never seen it before, and it really brings the whole room together. I have the same non-slip pad, so if I wanted to, I could get another rug of the same size and just change up the look whenever I want. Go to myruggable.com slash Dubrow. That's M-Y-R-U-G-G-A-B-L-E, two Gs, dot com slash Dubrow. And 15% off your order and free shipping will be automatically applied to your purchase. But that offer is only applied if you go to myruggable.com dot com slash Dubrow. Ruggable, washable, livable, lovable. Come on, let's talk about the thing that we're di- that's so crazy different in our world right now. Our live shows? Yeah. I was talking about it today on Heather Dubrow's world. It's insane. <laughs> it's crazy. So we have a giant skincare line and health and beauty wellness line called Consult Beauty and Consult Health that's on a shopping channel called Shop HQ on in 100 million homes. Anyway... We usually go to Minnesota for this. Right. But someone had the suggestion, the bright idea. You. Me. To do some hours, not many, a few hours here and there from our house. Because, you know, we come up with these health, wellness, and uh, beauty ideas that we have created all these sort of products that are doing extraordinarily well because they're so effective. And- all we ever do is fly to Minnesota and go, this is how we do it in our home, blah, blah, blah. And this is – in our medicine chest, we have this. In our kitchen, we do it this way. And everybody wants to go to their pantry. So we thought, you know what? Why not show everyone how exactly we've learned to biohack our life? Yeah, so this is really fun. So um, on Tuesdays from 5 to 7 Pacific, Pacific time, time yeah. um, by the time this airs, our Saturday show will be over. We're trying it this weekend on a Saturday. As well. As well. Um, but we're we're going to be uh, – actually, the day this show drops will be Tuesday. Yeah. And so our kids – So watch tonight. <laughs> yeah. So our kids – Some of them. are Some of them. Some of them refuse. The young ones are, you know, not the 
Douchey ones. Douchey teenagers that refuse to be on camera, but our two young ones, Kat and Coco, help us. Oh, the they loved it. They love they it. They put up the sold out signs. They came <laughs> on. It was so funny. And it's funny because, you know, I'm opening my refrigerator to show, like, where I keep the the beets and the cell, like, where I keep everything. And, and the camera's there. I'm like, oh, you want to see my refrigerator? And we're talking about the refrigerator and how organized it is. And there's a messy refrigerator. It's so funny. Yeah. So it's it's really... I think it really shows another side in our own home as to the motivation that we use to come up with these products and the way we use them. And it also shows our house. I mean, we've never showed our house. Well, except the entire tour I did on my YouTube channel. But I mean, on a live, not on a live show. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's one thing, a a produced program show. I mean, this is like... The entire shopping channel comes into our house and basically st- we start broadcasting for there. Where are we broadcasting from Saturday, this Saturday? Our bathroom. Our bathroom. Which the- is mildly – my idea, mildly a terrible idea because they have to set up crazy early and we're going to have to shower somewhere else. Um, I have a question I must ask you because Natalie and I were talking about this today. But I want to tell everyone, Dr. Judy Ho is here today. Mm-hmm. She's got this very cool book called Stop Self-Sabotage. I'm – fascinated, must hear about all of this. Um, But before, she'll be on in a little bit, but before we get there, so Natalie and I were talking today, Mm -hmm. and all right, I just want to see your reaction. So she goes, so I was at my OB doing my eight-month checkup. Mm -hmm. She goes, and we were taught, she goes, all right, let me ask you, she asked all the normal questions, and she goes, now let me ask you a vain question. So... Oh, I know what this is going to be. So let me finish. So when it comes to your, you know, uh, muscles separating, Mm -hmm. you know, what can be done? (sighs) How do we avoid this? Like, those were her questions. And this is what the doctor told her. Well, when I put everything, is exactly how she said it. Tell me if I'm right, Heather. When you put everything back, when I put everything back in, I can kind of push them together Mm -hmm. to make them tighter. Mm -hmm. Is that true? The muscles? Yes. No. That's what, I rolled uh, my eyes. Unless they're saying I can stitch them together. No, she didn't say stitch it. I go, the only way to keep them together is to stitch them. Yeah, well, maybe she meant that. But even if she meant that. You can't stitch them during a C-section. You can, you know. People do that? People sometimes do tummy tucks. I think it's overly risky and really ridiculous. Isn't the uterus mildly swollen? It's very swollen, but it's a thing that was a thing for a while. And then I've recently heard of some people doing it. Don't do it. Ever because you're at your greatest risk for a blood clot in when you're pregnant and when you're delivering. And a blood clot occurs in the veins in the pelvis. And if you're going to squeeze down on the veins of the pelvis at the, just the precise moment when you're at greatest risk of having a clot there, then you don't want to do that. And squeezing down on there means that's what happens when you sew up the muscles. Mm-hmm. Don't. Do that. Tummy tucks during uh, right after delivery, not a thing. Don't do it. I mean, I've heard of some plastic surgeons in the Midwest, you know, having their patients talk them into showing up and doing it, but it's too dangerous. Stupid. But also just, I mean, realistically, I mean, I remember, I I know that there's some supermodels out there that like they come out of, you know, their delivery and the next day they have a flat stomach, but 99.9% of the rest of the world is still looks pregnant after they get it done. So... If you so, if you're sewing up those muscles and tightening everything, aren't you, the uterus is still so swollen? Yeah. Are you squishing all that down? Or are you tightening it over that swollen? You're tightening it over the swollen uterus. So, so then the skin is still going to be loose. Well, tightening the muscles doesn't help the skin. 
But you're saying they're doing a tummy tuck. So they I'm are. assuming they're tightening the muscles and pulling the If skin. you're doing a formal tummy tuck. But that's not what the OB, Natalie's OB, is implying with this. That she didn't say stitch. She said put them together. Yeah, well, maybe, you know, she's not going to say I'm going to put them together with my fingers. That she means stitch. That's she didn't be- say. I'm telling you. She, she Natalie misunderstood. Meaning, if her doctor said, I'm going to put them together, she's talking about stitching them. That's what she's talking about. There's no such thing as I'm going to put them together mechanically with my hands. That's not a thing. Just as you said, it's ridiculous. I want to have her call in. Can you call Natalie? Look, her OB is not a dummy, okay? Her OB is a board-certified physician, multiple years of training. She's not going to try to convince anyone of a fantasy that doesn't exist. Well, I thought she was just trying to make her feel better. Like, hey, I'll just push them together with you. and like, Just as she feels better, like gets it out of her mind, like she's having something nice done. Matt, Natalie misunderstood. All right, well, she let, got pregnancy brain. All right, she's Give we're, we're, we're getting her on the line, and we're just going to find out about that because I'm like, you can't have a procedure on the table. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, you can have – she can tighten up the muscles on the table if she wants to. I don't think she should let her do it. What percentage of And by OBs the way, she's going to have another kid anyway, isn't she? I don't know, but what percentage of OBs do that? Zero. They won't even put a pain pump in her. I mean, and and by the way, it's not... Is she on the phone? You're on with Heather and Terry. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Okay, so I was telling Terry about your doctor. So tell him the story so that I... It, just in case I misrepresented it. Okay, which you probably didn't, but... <laughs> um, okay, so I feel like Heather and I always talk about how after you have a baby, your muscles separate. Right. And you, you know, don't get that those abs back and the definition. And so when I was in my doctor's appointment, I asked her and I said, you know, can I ask you a very vain question? But I mean, is there something that you can do while you're in there um, to help so that it doesn't go, you know, that they don't separate as much? And she said that she had the same issue and whatnot, but that when she goes when she goes in there, she can basically I'm I'm not wording this right, but like she can keep the, the the muscles or whatever that is all together. That way, when I heal, it's not so separated. Is that completely false? Well, when <laughs> Natalie, when you do a C-section, right, you make an incision and you go in there and you separate the tissues. You cut through them to get to the uterus, right? right. So she has to stitch you back up. So basically what she's telling you is, to the best of her ability at that time without causing you undue risk... She'll sew you up as much as she can to bring the muscles together as close as possible without making you overly tight and exposing you to the risk of a blood clot in your veins. So she she does have to sew you up. So what she's saying is I'll sew you up kind of on the little bit of the tighter side. But here's my question. The incision you're talking about is a horizontal issue, right? Right. The the diastasis is a vertical issue. That's what Natalie's talking about. It is. So how does the horizontal incision and making that tighter help your vertical diastasis well sometimes you know they make a well they do make a vertical incision in the uterus first of all so oh is that right not always sometimes huh. but can i request one over the other no don't do not have her do anything she doesn't normally do have her do it exactly the way she normally does by the way that's a very good piece of information for everyone yeah. you have them do it exactly the way they normally do it yeah because that's what they're most experienced in that has that's the the lowest risk way you know, and the other thing okay. is, she may be implying to you that she's going to tighten up the muscles and put a few stitches in them. 
she might be saying that she certainly knows how to do that. I mean, not like a plastic mm-hmm. surgeon would, but listen, you, you're, is this the only baby you're ever going to have? Probably not. So what? You'll probably have another baby, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, you'll have another baby within the five next five, six years. So there's no reason to tighten up your muscles now anyway. There really isn't. Do it after the last baby. You and know? what are the risks of tightening muscles and doing that extra stuff while she's in there? Well, I mean, if you tighten up the muscles, you're still going to have some loose skin. But, you know, the risk is you can get a clot in your veins, in your pelvis, and that can break off and go to your lungs and kill you. So there's that. Yeah. And that, you know, pregnancy... Well, I'll take the risk. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know. By the way... <laughs> but I'll look great. By the way, you sound like a botch patient now. <laughs> I'll take the oh, risk. God, no. Bring me to the edge of death to make to take a millimeter off the tip of my nose. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. So Okay. So, so she's not entirely wrong. Well, I mean, she's she, if she's saying she'll put it back together, then she means she's going to stitch it back together. So if she, but she, she didn't just, use she those words. She, no, she didn't. She just meant like she'll put them as close together as possible. That way, when I when I heal, they're not so separated. Well, the only way to put them close together as possible is stitch them. And by the way, don't forget what Terry taught us, which is if you have those muscles stitched together, most of the time you don't have abs anymore. Well, here's the truth. You ready for this? The lower part of your abs, of your abdomen, doesn't have abs. The abs go away in the part where they're going to make an incision. It's the upper part and the part around the belly button that separates. So if she closes the part below your belly button, let's say she were to do a sort of lower muscle tightening, okay, Mm -hmm. below the belly button, which is what you would have, um, you're going to bulge in the upper half. It actually will make you worse. So she either tightens you from the bottom of your breast bone, chest bone, to your pubis, which she's not going to do because that's a full tightening of the muscle called rectus plication, or she's going to do nothing, or she's going to tighten the part below the belly button, which will just make the, tight, the part above bulge out. Because when you get separation, you get separation all the way from the top to the bottom. So tightening the bottom is like putting a belt on the bottom, but it just makes the upper part bulge. Right? Okay, so all three sound awful. <laughs> yeah, you know, just don't, just don't, don't, her, like, don't way, worry. She's not going to listen to you any. Natalie, she's not going to listen to you anyway. She's just going to yes you. Don't worry, because that's what some. Yeah, that's but, so true. Yeah, she's going. Oh, don't worry, honey. But you, but what, as her friend and other dad, wouldn't you say tell her not to stitch you? Because you're kind of on the smaller side, you may have a bigger baby or something, and you may have. She has a little baby. Oh, you have a little baby. Yeah, she's having a C-section, mm-hmm. obviously. I mean, I look big, but she'll be little. Yeah, so who knows if you're going to have that much muscle separation anyway. I mean... Don't add problems. Just don't risk it. Th- th- she's not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trust me, she's right, yesing so you. So right. So don't yeah, worry about no, it. No, she probably is. All right. I just wanted well, to make sure know, she wasn't popping enough. stitches in there, because that's what we were talking about, is that I was saying, do people... Right. Does anyone have a tummy talk on the table and... Terry said. Some people do. They do. It's a thing. I mean, it's very rare. You, sh- I don't think you should. Some plastic surgeons think it's okay. I absolutely think it's not worth the risk. And you're tightening someone who's really swollen. They're swollen everywhere. Their lo- skin is loose and their uterus is pushing against your tightening muscles. So it's not a good idea. Don't do it. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Love you. <laughs> love you too. Good talk Bye to you later. Now. I'll buy you a belly band. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I'm so glad we talked about that. That was it was so funny. She brought it up and I'm like, "Huh, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good idea." 
I go, but I'm probably talking out my ass, so let's wait for Terry. We're going to take a quick break here, but I wanted to take time to thank today's sponsors who keep the podcast free. Check out the links to their deals in the show's description, as well as the link to my Amazon influencer page that helps out the show while you shop. Speaking of sponsors, here's a question. How did you sleep last night? If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you have got to try a purple mattress. Look, it's so hard to fall asleep if you have a bad mattress. You know that if it's too hot, if it's too cold, if, you know, if it's lumpy, bumpy. Purple is different from other mattresses because this brand new material was developed by an actual rocket scientist and not like any other memory foam you're used to. The purple material feels very unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool, which is so important, especially with the kind of summer we're having. Um, It ends up giving you this kind of zero gravity feel, so it works for any sleeping position. Plus, what's Purple going to do for you? A 100-night risk-free trial. And if you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. It's backed by a 10-year warranty, free shipping and returns, free in-home setup, and old mattress removal. You're just going to love Purple. And right now, our listeners will get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text... Dubro to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text Dubro, D-U-B-R-O-W, to 84888. That's Dubro to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. Um, Okay, you guys, we have a really um, great guest coming up. So please stay tuned because Dr. Judy Ho is coming up next. Hey, Jordan here. I know a lot of you create your own podcasts and a lot of you already have one like me. I obviously love what I do. It's taken a lot of hard work to get to this point of success. You shouldn't have to pay fees for platform hosting, distribution, analytics, or fees to create a podcast. You need to be able to focus on producing the best show possible. Now, Podcast One, that's the network I'm on, they have Launchpad Digital Media, or Launchpad DM for short. So it's free, includes unlimited hosting, full control of distribution. You have access to a full dashboard with analytics. Again, totally free. You own everything, by the way. You own your content, you own your subscribers, no tricky stuff there. And you get your own show page on launchpaddm.com for people to listen to and subscribe to your show. It's the only hosting platform brought to you by the leading network, Podcast One. Podcast One will promote the site, drive people to discover your podcast, and if your show grows, you could even be invited to join Podcast One's all-star roster, which includes people like Adam Carolla, Caitlin Bristow, Shaq, Lady Gang, and of course me, Jordan Harbinger, I'm there too. You also get access to their production and sales support. So with all this completely free, don't use other hosting platforms. Why would you need to? Learn more or sign up now at launchpaddm.com. And don't forget to check out the Jordan Harbinger Show. This is Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig. So everybody, please welcome the author of Stop Self-Sabotage, Dr. Judy Ho. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. By the way, I'm really excited to talk to you. I really am. And I'll tell you why. First of all, me too, because I'm a total self-sabotager. Yeah, (laughs) and we all know people who are self-sabotagers. I am definitely not a self-sabotager. By the way, I didn't even realize this when I read the book. Did you see that Drew Pinsky? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not only Drew, there's uh, multiple big Vivica Vivica Fox. Fox. Yeah. Yes. So, first of all... Oh, Mike Bayer was on the show, too. I love him. He's a cool guy. Oh, yeah. He's a really cool guy. You're a clinical neuropsychologist. Yes. And... I, you you trained part of your training, a big part of your training was at the NPI. I don't even call it NPI yeah. anymore, do and you're they? Yeah, UCLA, right? Yeah. yeah, so now it's called Semmel Institute. 
I, I still call it Neuropsychiatric Institute because yes, that's what it used to be. the NPI. Remember the craziest there? You may be, you belong to the NPI. Remember that? Yes, <laughs> Your title yes. is clinical and forensic. Yes. yes. Neuropsychologist. What What does that mean? That sounds salacious. <laughs> I know. It's like I so like it. fancy. No, but really, I mean, I do a lot of work in the legal arena. So I um. evaluate... Um, plaintiffs mm-hmm. in the context of civil litigations, or sometimes I evaluate criminals. And usually those cases involve me going to like a high security prison, mm-hmm. getting like searched, getting all of my things taken away, no phone, no contact. I'm completely dependent on the prison guards. And that one time sounds they, so safe. <laughs> one, time they le- one time they left me in a room by myself for an hour. I mean, I don't understand how scared straight doesn't work because it worked for me. I just thought that they forgot about me. I had no way to contact anyone. Turns out that there was a fight that broke out and it was all hands on deck and they did have to kind of deprioritize me for a second. And then I wanted to go to the bathroom and they thought that one of the prisoners wanted to go to the bathroom. So they opened a cell for me and said, you can go in the bathroom in there. And I said, and then they went back to the tower and the tower's like, oh, it's the, it's the staff that needs to go to the bathroom. And they opened the secret door and I actually did not have to go to the bathroom in plain sight of everyone. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm horrified. <laughs> I know. So you're a professor at Pepperdine, correct? I am, yes. Which... Our son wants to go there. <laughs> Our oh, son desperately fun. wants to go there. Can we pay you $500 million? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I got a check right here. <laughs> okay, but I, you know, I just want to get right into the book because this is such... I know so many people... I, I've always felt that... There's two ways in my limited view, and of course I want you to explain it, but two ways to view self-sabotaging. One is a person wants to has a goal and wants to achieve that goal, and they blow it, and they do whatever steps they take so that they don't achieve the goal. A properly. purpose. And that, yeah, and that's a form of self-sabotage. But mm-hmm. then there's also – maybe you don't consider this, so correct me, but people who make – the big mistake in their life that leads them down the wrong path. Mm. To me, that's the ultimate self-sabotage because I always think that a lot of people's stations in life that they're in that they hate is Mm. really Mm. due to self-sabotage above and beyond. Do you agree with that? I do. Yeah. 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 So what's the – take us back. Like what's the biggest? Well, I think – Maybe what you're referring to, Dr. Terry, is that sometimes people make that one big mistake and yes. their entire life then just becomes sort of the consequences of that one mistake and they yeah. never get themselves out of it. And I think that that's some people's marriages. That's yep. some people's career choices. It's not ever leaving a, a comfort zone where maybe there's only so much you can do, whether that's a neighborhood or a relationship or a certain type of social community. So I think that happens. And then, of course, like you said, there's the things that happen where people just kind of stumble along the way and they just kind of keep going back. And I mean, one of the biggest things that I think of is health and diet, you know, that that's always like the one step forward, two steps back sort of thing. So why do we self-sabotage? Where is that rooted from? So I believe it's rooted in our biology and our evolutionary. Yes, a little bit. Yes. That's why I feel like it's somewhat universal in that we all have the propensity to do it. But then who... How come some people do it and some people don't, right? But the but the universality is there. So what I mean by that is human beings have like two main drives to continue to survive as a species and as individuals, and that is to obtain rewards and to avoid threat. I mean, it's very simple. Like that's the only way that we can continue to live our lives. Yeah. And I think in general, those two things, if they're in balance, things are great. You know, you go towards the rewards and you avoid threat when you should and everything works out. But sometimes the switch happens where you just over prioritize avoiding threat. And in our current day, the threat is not a saber toothed tiger for most of us. 
the current threat is what if I get rejected? What if I fail at this mm. job? Right. So it's more emotional and psychological. But I believe that our bodies and our minds have not sort of evolved past really understanding the difference between physical and physiological and then emotional or psychological threat. So then whenever you feel threatened, you're just like, OK, I just want to shut freeze, down, shut down. Like so for a lot of people, they freeze or they back away and then they just always think about the threat and they forget about the rewards. And that is just as important in life. So, okay, so it, I'm sorry. Wait, so are, are, is the key to not th- focus on the threat or to figure out where the threat is coming from so we can then avoid that? Yeah, so it's like an accurate assessment of the threat and not overemphasizing the threat so much and still remembering that the rewards are important too. And I think sometimes the threat could even be a negative emotion because our culture is so much inundated with this message of, you got to have like lots of happy emotions. And when you have a negative emotion, that means it's a bad thing, right? This idea of happiness that is the absence of any kind of negative emotion. But that's so crazy because any goal that's worth doing in life comes with ups and downs, you know, whether it's starting a new career, moving to a new place, getting a job, um, having a family, having children, like there's the ups and downs of all of those things. And if everybody only wanted to look for the absence of negative emotion, we'd never do anything. What's so cool about your book is a lot of books like this, because it's it's a self-help book, obviously, yes. are so theoretical in nature that they're almost not usable, not practical. This is They're a little to- like, be the best, think positive, right. inspiring, like, but no practical like information. We've had guests in here who've written books, very smart people like you, professors, MDs, and so on, who write these self-help books, and they're complete. You, you finish reading them, you go, yeah, I got nothing. I have nothing mm. practical. Yours is 100% practical. practical, which is what I really was attracted to. And and the whole yeah. self-sabotaging thing is, I think, the root of all evil in terms of our unhappiness with our stations in life, the reason why we're not where we want to be. Mm-hmm. But this book is all about practical. And it, it, one of the ways, one of the, it starts with sort of the analysis, right? Tell, yeah. tell so how do, we an- how do we analyze if we're a self-sabotager and what kind of self-sabotaging we're doing? Right. So I think that it can be boiled down into an acronym that I mean. I love acronyms when yeah. I was Me studying too. in school. I like needed totally. to have mnemonics to remember yeah. things. And as I'm getting older now, I need it more than ever. So, like, <laughs> I, uh, so I made up a, a mnemonic and it, the mnemonic is life. So each of those stands for a factor of self-sabotage that somebody can, you know, see as part of their particular brand. And so L stands for low or shaky Mm self-esteem. So when somebody has a low self-concept or at least a shaky one, then that's going to cause them to self-sabotage. And some people will say, well, I have really good academic self-concept. Like I know I can like do good at jobs and, you know, studying, whatever. But when it comes to relationships, that's where my self-concept isn't Mm. so strong. And so I think there's definitely people who will like compartmentalize, you know, parts of their self-concept and say there's these areas where I'm weaker and that's where they self-sabotage. makes sense. And then I stands for internalized belief. So these are the things that we learn as children. Sometimes it's directly told to us by parents or other important adults like don't like don't leap before you look and you know the world is a dangerous place but other times you kind of just see it you see the way that they cope with life and if they're nervous nellies if they're stressed out then you feel like oh my gosh you know maybe there's something horrible lurking and then as an adult you just adopt this and sometimes it's unconscious yeah but you know i was with dr jen berman today and we were Mm. talking about yeah she's awesome we were talking about our moms and she was telling me a story about 
or the way she grew up and how it permeated her brain. And I was telling her a similar story with me because, yeah, you don't realize until you're older, Mm -hmm. you know, because your parents teach you things. They teach you things that you don't even realize. You get osmosis, politics, you know, um, how to relate to other people and relationships. And you're just seeing it and and growing up that way. And then you – a self-actualized person, like I think for me in my 20s, started going, wait a minute. Right. That's not okay. I actually yeah. don't believe in that. And you start being your own person, but that's so hard to break out of. Well, and you had to relearn that script, right? And it mm-hmm. makes sense because when we're young, we're learning about the world and the way things work for the very first time. So they get imprinted much stronger than like if you have an experience in your 30s or 40s and something happens and you realize, oh, well, this is the first time it's happened. It doesn't make sense with the rest of my world. But when you learn something as a child... I mean, you just think that that's how it always works, right? right? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. true. So we've got low self-esteem, internal beliefs. And what's yeah. F? And then so F is fear of the unknown mm. or fear of change, which, mm-hmm. of course, again, is that whole avoiding threat thing again taking over because we got to know where we're going. And if we don't know, then it's scary. And what if something doesn't happen? And what if it doesn't go the way we want? And obviously, all human beings don't. I mean, they don't all love change. Most people don't love change. Some people crave it, but most people don't. And it makes sense why you wouldn't, but it also explains why people get trapped into these patterns. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's the devil me, you think, know. That's the devil you know, you know? Even yeah. if it's bad, at least you know how to cope with it and you've been there before. The hell you know? It's so that's why pe- That's why I think a lot of people stay in bad marriages. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The hell you know. Some, and then they'll say, yeah. oh, well, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other yeah. side. And, yeah. and then they're telling these stories more to convince themselves than anyone else, right? right. And then the last one is, a great one my favorite which is excessive need for control um that's i feel like that's like but i also feel like that can have positive qualities right so like excessive need for control these are like i say this with so much love like type a people i see myself as a type a person and i love type a people i love when people are like meticulous i mean i want a doctor who's meticulous right Uh, yes so there are certain jobs especially that i'm like good i'm so glad that you're anal about this (laughs) but if you're too anal if you're too anal and you just won't let go of the reins you can see how things can fall apart because if you don't see that you can control everything every step of the way you might just be like forget it and you convince yourself you don't need to do it i don't need this and i think that happens mostly with romantic relationships i see a lot of success professionals who will convince themselves I just don't need a relationship I don't need companionship and it's really because it's really scary to get into a relationship and you don't get to control everything because there's this whole other person there and their feelings and their thoughts about you is not always under your control Hey, have you ever bought something online only to find out later you missed a discount? How annoying is that? Well, don't overspend anymore. Go to Honey Honey, it's a browser-free add-on that allows you to find the best deals online. This app magically auto-applies the best deal to your cart at checkout. Honey finds discounts and coupons across 37 sites. You know why I love, I mean, like Amazon, Sephora, Best Buy, Nordstrom, so many more, and you don't worry about missing a deal. You just shop like normal, and Honey handles the rest. And what's so amazing is I used to, like, have my little cart open, and then I would go to the web and try to search for um, a discount code, and then sometimes they work, and sometimes they don't forget that. Honey does it all for you. Honey has saved its 10 million members an average of $28. Honey members have already saved more than $800 million. I mean, not bad for something that's completely free and takes just two clicks to install. And by the way, $28 and change, that's like twice the shipping cost. That's amazing. It's like getting free shipping and a discount. I love that. Honey has over 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store and Time Magazine calls Honey basically free money. Look, there's really no reason not to use Honey. It's free to use 
and easy to install on your computer in just two clicks. So shop with confidence. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Dubrow. That's joinhoney, H-O-N-E-Y, joinhoney.com slash Dubrow. Honey, the smart shopping assistant that saves you time and money when you're shopping online. I think being a parent, a lot, because I'm a huge control freak mm-hmm. and total type A, but having children definitely helps ease all that because you when you, you get to a certain right? age you can't control it yeah i mean i'm not saying i always handle it perfectly but it's it, interesting like i remember our daughter who's 15 said something like because they're twins boy girl twins and she goes he, my son had done something and she goes is that allowed is he allowed to do that <laughs> and i and i looked at her i said i don't know I got to think about it. I'm like, you're 15 for the first time. We're parents of 15-year-olds for the first time. Like, right. I, I don't know. We got to figure it out. All right. N- not self-confidence inducing in the kids to say, we don't know. <laughs> I know, but I actually think it's good. I don't want them to think I know everything. I don't. I'm, and we're learning together. And I think it's smart. I don't think that that's a realistic relationship to have that parents know everything and you are still learning. We know, right. we know everything about some things. Right. Yeah. And a little something about everything, but right. not, you know, empirically knowledgeable about yeah. every yeah. subject and every situation. Like who could be? Like no one, even if you try your best. You and know, you make mistakes. There's so much knowledge out there. Of course. Even with all that knowledge, yeah. we all can make mistakes. It okay. So I digress. Sense. So life. So now we have now figured out <laughs> what our, why we're self or where we're self-sabotaging. Yeah. So I feel like for most people, they either will see themselves in one of those four factors. But a lot of people I work with are like, uh, every yeah. single one, maybe there's I'm raising my hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think knowing kind of where it derives from is important. That's sort of like the underlying sort of roadmap of like, this is why this is happening for you. But then when you kind of see it on a day-to-day basis, you might not even recognize those things. Those are kind of like deeper and more embedded. What we recognize is what we do, right? The first thing that we recognize is what we do or how we feel. And sometimes we don't realize that every single action is preceded by a thought. Mm-hmm. So there is an automatic thought that happens and we call them automatic because they happen so quickly like a flash because we don't necessarily think in full sentences. Mm-hmm. So it happens really quickly and then you do a thing and then you feel bad about it and sometimes you don't connect that there was a thought that triggered you to do it. Give me an example. So a good example might be, you know, I mean, I kind of think about sort of like two people who get fired from their jobs, right? So this, the event is the same. The event is that they both got fired. But one person's thought process is, oh my God, I'm not going to make rent. This is embarrassing. I can't tell my partner. I don't want my parents to find out. And they just kind of go into a total spin, right? They kind of close themselves off. They like end up like just not talking to anybody for the rest of the day. They have like all these hopelessness thoughts. Like they start like binge eating, like all kinds of different things. Then the other person is like, well, that sucks that I got fired. But you know what? I didn't like that job that much anyway. And maybe this is the kick in the butt I needed to like take a vacation first and then reevaluate what I'm going to do next. And this person's experience will be so different, right? Like just because their thought was... I didn't like that job that much anyway. Cool. Like, um, let me see what I can do instead. And then their entire trajectory will change for the rest of the day. They may actually get excited, look up vacation places. They may actually go, you know, onto a job site and start looking at what's there. Right. So you can see how like two people's lives can totally go in totally different paths depending on that first thought after the event. So when you were talking before, you were saying a lot of this is genetic. We're all born in this. Some have a propensity for more of self-sabotage than others. So... If, you know, you have those two people and one just has the propensity for Mm self-sabotage and that's their knee-jerk reaction, is there a way that we can reprogram ourselves? So even if it's the first 
thought we can make the second one better? Totally. Yeah. And I think it's it's a couple of different things. So when we have a thought, I think as a culture and as a species, thoughts are everything. I mean, it's what distinguishes us from lower life forms, right? So, I mean, it's what causes us to achieve the things that we do. But we also take them so much to heart that we don't need to like thoughts are mental events. Um, I don't think that there is a lot of great empirical evidence about how many thoughts human beings have in a day, but the estimates have been anywhere from 20,000 to 60,000. Really? So clearly we're not all processing all of those things. And if we did, that would, we would go nuts, right? I mean, our brains <laughs> would not have the capacity for that, but these thoughts are happening. And so why do we take certain thoughts more literally than others? And why is it when we have a thought, it almost feels like it's already true, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the literature, I mean, I think in the beginning when we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy, which is like a really good scientific therapy for a lot of different symptoms that people can have, it's all about, oh, you you identify the negative thought. Now let's change it to a helpful thought. And I think that that is a good technique, but it doesn't work for everyone because sometimes you're just not in the mood. I mean, you're already so moody. <laughs> Put a smile. Right? Like, Turn that frown upside let's down. Let's do a gratitude list. Like, okay, I'm sorry. You know, like that's not working in this moment. But I think that an even more evolved strategy is actually just changing the relationship you have to your thoughts. So what I mean by that is instead of changing the thought, like if you have a horrible thought, like I'm a loser, that's a mean thought. <laughs> But, you know, you have this thought and so, and then your therapist is saying, change this thought. I'm a winner. And you're like, OK, it, screw you. Yeah, like, work. stick it up your yeah, butt. Right. right. You're like upset with them. But you could also this other approach is just to say, I can have this thought, but I don't have to let it affect my day. It doesn't have to permeate everything I do. It can be in the background, but I don't have to necessarily give it any weight. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a totally different technique that comes from a theory called acceptance and commitment therapy. And this particular technique just like allows you to like let go of the thought and not let it be so important in your life. And one really quick way I tell people to access that is just add a little phrase in front of that negative thought. So instead of trying to change the thought itself, just add a phrase. And the phrase is, I'm having the thought that. Mm. So when you say so it's I'm not ha- a reality anymore. Right. So I'm having the thought that this is like the fortune cookie when you put in bed. Yeah, I was thinking that. <laughs> I was thinking that when I wrote it. That's really funny you said that. I was like, I want to like really make an inappropriate joke. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that no, my publisher didn't like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm having the thought that I'm a loser. Like all of a sudden, that first original thought, you just take the sales, you know, the wind out of the sails just yeah. a little yeah. bit, Good. you know. So that's a really quick way I tell people to kind of access that is like, don't take it so seriously. Just because you had the thought doesn't even mean it's true. Yeah. And so there's other techniques too that are kind of silly. Like if you have a horrible negative thought, like you can sing a silly song and hum a silly song to that thought. Because again, it changes like the timbre and the emotion of the thought. If you're singing Three Blind Mice. I'm a loser. Right, right. (laughs) Or like Three Blind Mice and you're singing Three Blind Mice to I'm a loser. It makes it funny. And then you realize that it's really just a mental event and nothing else. That's interesting. You know, can we just talk about because we don't we don't have and you, there's so much we could talk to you about, but I want to talk to you about the general big categories that people self sabotage themselves. Yeah, you mentioned diet, exercise. You mentioned careers, relationships. What's what do you think the number one area of self sabotaging is? Relationships. Yeah, more than yeah. diet. Relationships. Yeah, I think diet. I mean, that that's a close second. I think of that as a very concrete one. But I also feel like a lot of people can eventually overcome it because it's very prescriptive. It's like if you're able, like there's a script for it, right? True. It's sort of like do the exercising, do the diet, eat healthier, you will look better. If you follow this, yeah. you will be better than you were like 10 
months ago, right? That's true. But it's so different with romantic relationships. There's really no script. I mean, who's going to like, I mean, I know that there's lots of life coaches out there, relationship coaches, but everybody's technique is different and nobody has like a step boom, 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 right? It's not one, two, three. It's not like graduate high school, go to college or like, you know, cut 300 calories and exercise three to five times a week. You know, there isn't a prescription. Uh And on top of that, romantic relationships like basically force us to give control over and be our most vulnerable Mm -hmm. selves. And so if you have anything like low self-esteem or like internalized beliefs or anything that's deeper, that's the part that you're going to have the hardest time with because you're going to be constantly triggered with certain things, right? So if you have, for example, if you have the L part of life and you have lower self-concept, anything that the other person does, you think is a reflection of you, right? You kind of Mm -hmm. think that when they do something, it must be because of you somehow, that you're related somehow. And then you get into it with them. And yet maybe they're just having a bad day, but... You know, maybe they're a little cranky and you think, oh, my gosh, this is already starting. They're starting to fall out of love with me. I knew it. Why did I even get invested? And then your thoughts just keep going. Right. And so I find that a lot of people who are actually pretty successful at other areas of life, like they might actually look amazing, great health and diet, great career. They have great friendships, too, because, again, that doesn't involve the level of intimacy. But then when it comes to romantic relationships, like they either choose the same partner over and over again that treats them badly or they choose a safe partner mm. that doesn't actually challenge them and interest them, and because then you know what? It's just I'm joking. To deal with. <laughs> By the way, just so you know, Heather just pointed to me. Yeah, yeah, that was we, funny. Wow. <laughs> serious, oh, lighten up, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> what movie is that from? Uh, Stripes. Yeah, good one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bill, Bill Murray. We wouldn't even say, but anyway. Yeah. So. Okay, so what does what is one to do? I mean, you have to read the book, but just mm-hmm. in general terms, how do you attack that? So I think the romantic relationship one really has to do, in essence, with our values. Like, we are such a goal-driven world, and goals are obviously great, but we don't want to make a bunch of goals that are just because of our neighbor making them or our mm-hmm. friend making them or our family saying we have to have them. Um, it really needs to come from a more of an internal source. And so I kind of think about... Plato and like Aristotle and Socrates, like all of these philosophers, when they contemplated what happiness was, they talked about happiness very differently. So instead of it being like the absence of negative feelings, they talked about it being like a life well lived and, you know, living according to your values. But if you live according to your values, it's not always going to be an easy road. So for example, if your value is honesty, you're going to have a tough road, right? Right, sure. Especially in this day and age when you're supposed to just like pander to everybody and say nice things. Like people expect you to say nice things and sometimes if you have nothing to say, they either think you're rude or if you tell them the truth and they don't want to hear it and you cause conflict in your friendship. Yeah, oh God, I've talked about that so many times. I do not understand the participation trophy. You guys probably had to do that, right? With our kids. Yeah, because like you were ordered to get participation trophies for the other team or like when you win or something like that. Uh, our, Our oldest kids, every time they played a game everyone got a trophy for everything 100 trophies that meant nothing well that's so crazy because there's there are winners and losers in life so they have to learn learn that lesson they have to know how to fall and stumble and get back up right so sorry i didn't mean to digress it's not even a digression i think that that totally applies it's like oh we have to protect and coddle everything but it's not true and so when you live according to your values you're much more willing to tolerate the distress that comes with it because you realize that it's more internally rooted so whatever goal you have for a relationship and whatever kind of relationship you want to have, you need to ask yourself, like, what do you what's the meaningfulness behind it? Right. Like, what's your values about romantic relationships? And then you have to approach the relationships in that fashion. So when I've had people do this exercise and we do a values card sort where I have like 33 most common values in life. I mean, there's thousands, but it's just a way to kind of 
experience this activity i just give it to them and i have them sort and be like what's your top 10 so they'll come up with their top 10 and i'll ask them in the last relationship that you've been in like how much did that relationship nurture these top 10 values and most of the times they'll find that either it's none or it's only like two out of the 10 and then that's where you start the discussion it's like okay so then what does a partner actually look like who would honor these values like what would that person be like and where would you find that person and also what would you have to give up yourself to be with a person like that like would you have to be more vulnerable would you maybe have to you know give up control would you maybe have to be scared that they have options and could leave you like whatever the issue is if it comes from a values driven place you're more willing to like stick with a tough thing than if it wasn't and so i I just kind of caution people against just making lots of empty goals because like what's the point once you check it off you just don't even like you feel empty i mean people will say that like well i ran the marathon and then like I didn't know how I felt after. I thought I would be elated and I just felt kind of depressed. And I was like, well, why did you run the marathon in the first place? Like, yeah. Why did you care about that? Is it because your husband ran it or is it because you really wanted it for yourself? That you know? is such a good point. Yeah, it's crazy. But we just we forget because we are social animals and we do take it off of other people. And especially in this day and age, it's so easy, right? I mean, you go on Instagram and you look at everyone else's life and you're like, oh, they're doing that. Oh, I want to do it such too. A lie. Well, it's such BS. I always say I never put filters on my pictures because I don't want people to meet me in person and be like, oh, <laughs> like, let's just keep it real. There's We have pictures like our youngest looks miserable and crying in the picture. And I just posted that was the day. That's what was going and on. That's, that's great that you're setting that example. They're because not I happy think that. <laughs> but I feel like our teenagers, especially, I mean, there's so much pressure. I can't even imagine. I mean, when we were teenagers, oh. I mean, it's still stressful. But now, I mean, oh. how many likes does so-and-so get? And my yeah. best friend got 100 likes and I only got 80. Does that mean I'm less popular than her? I mean, crazy, right? So do you know that Instagram is removing the likes? They are. I heard about that. When yeah. are they doing it? I don't know. It's soon. I thought this was fascinating because they were realizing they did studies and realized that people it was causing clinical depression in people, mm-hmm. the amount of likes. So I think I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think you can still see right. how many likes you get, but no one else does. And you can't see anyone else's. Well, so then, it takes it all off the table. Maybe they should also remove the number of followers people have that only oh. you can see. So you don't feel like, oh, I don't have totally. as many followers. Well, yeah, right. Because it's a popularity contest, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, people should just want to follow you because they want to follow you. Not because, oh, this person has this many followers, so I should follow them too. Or this person only has 50 followers. I shouldn't follow them. I guess. Know? But it's kind of on the line of TV ratings, I feel like. Because it's a whole nother <laughs> media outlet, basically, it Instagram is. now. So it is. It's a marketing machine it's crazy you know should we not know what everyone's tv shows do and know what the popular things are well you don't know what netflix tv shows do. that's a good point or amazon and that's a good point we just know that they're very good they just tell us that they're good Yeah. yeah hey guys today we have a brand new sponsor that i'm super excited about it's Lacroix sparkling water by the way i used to pronounce it lacroix like the designer but that would be wrong it's l-a-c-r-o-i-x have you seen it it's pronounced lacroix it was developed to give health conscious consumers refreshment flavor and sparkle with an instant twist of zero calories zero sweeteners and zero sodium enjoy lacroix sparkling water a calorie sweetener and sodium innocent beverage with nothing artificial LaCroix is a healthy alternative for you and your lifestyle and is available nationwide. For a full list of retailers, visit www.lacroixwater.com. LaCroix has 25 flavors, including newly introduced hibiscus, and they are confirmed to be derived from natural sources with natural fruit essences. Zero calories, zero sweeteners, zero sodium, 
Uh, that's innocent, baby. There are 15 LaCroix flavors. The newest flavor, hibiscus, key lime, tangerine, mango, apricot, passion fruit, peach pear, coconut, lemon, lime, berry, cran raspberry, orange, and grapefruit, and pure round out the lineup. By the way, my uh, kids love these, and it's such a great alternative to high-caffeine, high-sugar soda. The LaCroix family also includes six LaCroix Curate flavors like pineapple, strawberry. These are the fancy ones. Appleberry, cherry lime, kiwi watermelon, blackberry cucumber, and cantaloupe pink grapefruit. LaCroix Curate has a bolder flavor, but the same innocent nutritionals. Trying to cut soda and coffee? Try this today. Newly added flavors to the Nicola line include coconut cola, Cubana Mojito, and Coffee Exotica, Sumatra Coffee, and Cola. Join the original La Cola, all of which contain no caffeine or alcohol, only naturally essenced flavors. For more information, join the LaCroix community on social at LaCroix Water, or check them out at www.lacroixwater.com. I think a lot of, if I could just make this more personal, I think where we're at right now is that we have these 15-year-old kids, twins, and then mm. we have a 12-year-old who's about to enter, a girl who's about to enter into that super bitchy phase. She's kind of <laughs> there. And so I, it's funny because I, I come home and I think, all right, I know she's there, hormonal, and they're bitchy, and they're doing that teenage mm-hmm. thing you want to strangle Teenage them. angst. And then I come home and I say to myself, okay, what can I do so that I can be real, mm-hmm. I can be a dad, but still not self-tabotage my relation with them so they blow me off because if I don't act a, if I act a certain way mm-hmm. with them and this is the relationship self-sabotaging they blow me off and if I'm mm-hmm. overly generous well mm-hmm. that's not real either I'm yeah. buying their their love and affection yeah so I it's it's a it's a mystery to me how and particularly for you honey because Totally, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something bad you did, and then I'm going to say something good you did, okay? Wait, wait. Dr. Judy's here. She's I know. I want, but I'm gonna, let's she's see the arbiter Judy, of good Let's see if Judy agrees with me. Okay. So um, I think something bad that he did, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say bad, but maybe like negative, self-sabotaging mm-hmm. would be, I know when he's not in the mood for the kids, he'll purposely like say something to irritate them, so they leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only do that with Coco. Yeah, but you do that. So that's that would be the self-sabotaging <laughs> on purpose. But I thought what you did great the other I think night- it's very practical. I actually don't think it's, I'm not in the mood. Yeah. So yeah. I, it's very goal-oriented. Bug them so the they don't want to be with me. Right. Oh boy! And then, and then move. Go ahead. oh my! But she's going to get to the good part now. She's going to praise you. We now. were yes. Here's the praise. <laughs> um, see, there was the negative, and then there was the the there was the threat, and then <laughs> and here's the positive. Yeah. Um, we the twins came home from their first day of school, and they were totally mad at me because I had posted a picture. It's a whole long story, but anyway. Um, <laughs> They really didn't want to speak to me at the dinner table, but it was the first day of school. And so Terry came down and we were having a family dinner and they really didn't want to talk. They were tired. They were miserable. They're back in school. They got homework, the whole thing. And Terry, he could have gone to a bad place, but you were like, hey, look, this is a totally normal conversation for the first day of dinner, first day of Mm -hmm. school at Mm -hmm. dinner. Answer a few basic questions. You weren't coddling them, but you weren't like rude about it. Like, yay, answer the questions. You were had like the right tone. It was just like good. But can you use this, the principles in this book mm-hmm. to help a relationship between a teenage daughter and the mom? Totally. Because I think sometimes when 
our children start to develop and grow and they become different people and they go through this phase where like totally not thankful for you and all of that it's hard to not make it about yourself right Right. i mean Mm -hmm. even if you are parents like of course like you've poured your heart out into this how can you not a little bit make it about yourself i mean i i really love my parents but there's definitely been times where they all say things like you know what we sacrificed for you i'm like whatever screw you whatever you know when i was a teenager <laughs> and um and i'm like i hate you so much and i never want to talk to you again whatever yeah. and and then they'll say that to you like it's so hard not to say that but actually that just made me more angry right Cause yes because it also makes you feel kind of like oh so what like i ruined your life i'm not worth it somehow like you know you can you can see how a child could have those ideas and beliefs and so i think in terms of the principles of the book and how this applies it's all about like not making it about whatever your life is right Mm -hmm. so it's sort of like if you know that you have like an excessive need for control but then you really like want to understand that this is a phase that they're in and you you want to keep the parental monitoring because that's very good but at the same time you don't want to be overly zealous because you just can't control everything that they do then you to honor that you have to back off sometimes like you kind of have to pick your battles right as opposed to like you better tell me everything that you do you better tell me exactly where you're going to be because i'm your mom and dad blah, 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 you know and so i think you gotta you gotta figure out where your life is getting in the way of you having a better relationship and to like try to get out of anything that is conflict right and so what you were saying earlier dr terry about you know hey i just said something kind of pointed and so like then they left like fine i don't want to hang out with you like oh thank goodness i didn't want to hang out with you anyway exactly but perhaps you know another way it could have just been honest just, and say i don't want to hang out with you and just, yeah, just <laughs> no, be, okay. no just no, be like yeah but but you know kind of just like hey dad needs a little alone time right now i'm going to the other room and you don't even have to promise when you'll be back necessarily except that you will be back like you don't have to actually give them 20 minutes 30 minutes like just say and i'll be back later tonight I think that's enough. And I don't think I that then the kids will, won't feel like, oh, daddy's so irritable today. It's just more like, okay, dad's got something to do. Yeah, it's a really you know? cheap way of dealing with your guilt because yeah, if you yeah. piss them off right. and they don't want to be with you, you go, oh, they don't want to be with me anyway. No, I can be alone. But if you say to them, though, you know, I'm not really – I'm really tired. I'm going to go lay down. That's I'm going to go lay down with guilt. Right. I'd rather go lay down with, wow, what a jerk. So he's self-preserving. Yeah. yeah. It's kind yeah. of a winner move. You no, know, I'm kidding. So with my, I, can see, I can see the, the so logic. Even though I'm a control freak with our 15-year-old daughter, I think one of the things that we've done well, by we I mean mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. Um, have done well is I don't want to know everything. Mm-hmm. I actually don't because I, I remember being that age. Yeah. And she, she tells me so much, and I think mm-hmm. she tells me more than I ever would have told my mother. So I mm-hmm. feel really secure in our relationship in in that way. And when she does need something or she's upset about something, she always tells me. Right. So I so I really like that. And yeah. you know, any issues or anything like that on the daily, I really you know keep it to yourself. That's okay. You're allowed your privacy. Yeah. I think what what I have and what you're talking about and so many of us have is exactly what you're saying. You know, we react to our parents, but we think mm-hmm. we're different. Yeah. And so when we see our kids, especially the teenagers, because they get douchey, reacting <laughs> to us uh-huh. in this way, it's like, like you're saying, it's so yeah. infuriating. Right. And you feel like I forget about giving up. I've raised you for all those years. Yeah. Our daughter said to me a couple of weeks ago, she's like, well, in three years, I'm leaving to start my life anyway. <gasps> and I was like, <gasps> start? I gave you life. 
But I yeah. get it because yeah. I remember I felt yeah. like that's when I started my life too, right? You yeah. feel like you start your life when you yeah. leave the house. Yeah. And, you know, it's our job to create human beings that are successful and healthy and, and yeah. independent. And they're supposed to want to leave at some point. That but is supposed to be the point. It's yes. infuriating it is. with that relationship. And sometimes you just can't help it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I think that that's sort of the, the key moments of like when you can't help it, sometimes I think it just depends. It's sort of like this having the psychological flexibility of like, sometimes it is more about them and you got to make it less about yourself. Mm -hmm. But other times it is about you. Mm -hmm. So like back to that example where you just needed alone time, like you're allowed to say that instead of by by saying a pointed and flippant art, uh, like comment at your child, you actually made it more about them and not about you, you know, because it's more like, oh, you're the one that's getting my way. Not really. You just kind of want to be alone that moment, probably. Right. And that's okay. That's yeah. just on. That's just you. It's not maybe the kid. It's maybe anybody. It's like I just kind of want a little bit of chill time where I don't have any responsibility. And it's okay to own that too. You just, as parents, you're not supposed to 100 percent always be giving of yourself all the time. I mean, th- that's why they always say when you're on a plane, you got to put the mask on yourself yep. first mm-hmm. and then on your loved yep. one because you're not going to be of any help to them if you're gasping for air and dying, right? And so you sometimes it, it is self preservation, and that's okay. And I think that that's also where the life principles can come in too. Like somehow you're supposed to always be in control and always like say the right thing. And like, it's okay. Like sometimes you don't, but that's cool because really at the end of the day, if the relationship is what matters then you do whatever it takes to preserve that relationship. And so if preserving the relationship is don't say the slip flippant thing and own it and say, I need to just go lay down for a bit, then say that. What do you do when you have someone in your life that is a self-sabotager and you see it and you recognize it yeah. and you want to help? How do you help? That's oh, a good question. my God. It's one of the reasons why I wrote this book, because I had so many friends, colleagues, family members who would self-sabotage and they, they wouldn't notice it. And they would keep telling me that everything was fine. And um, I know that it wasn't because they kept trying to convince themselves. So all you can really do. And one thing I do is use the principles of this technique called motivational interviewing, which is sort of like meeting them where they're at because nobody likes to be talked to and nobody likes to be talked down to especially as me as a psychologist people will say things like oh you think you know better with your psychobabble i'm like i actually don't i want to help but i can also see that can get really annoying so um i i I really just have to meet them where they're at and i have to make them come to that dissonance themselves i have to make them see that like ah this doesn't feel good like i don't like how this is going but you can't make them recognize that by telling them just like a teenager right like you tell them, tell them something, they're like, I don't want to listen to you. So the way that I do it is really just asking them like very like open questions. Like, so how do you think your relationship is going? And not filling in the blanks. I think sometimes as loved ones, we like want to rush in and mm-hmm. be like, well, from my perspective, this person's not treating you right, blah, 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 blah. But then that just makes people go on the defensive. That's a natural reaction. So no, you just pose an open question and you just wait. And what I've noticed is that if I just don't say anything, somebody else always talks first Mm -hmm. and then if i keep not saying anything they just keep going Hmm. because people don't like silence (laughs) and sometimes people need to vent yeah so i just let them go and sometimes they'll just you know they'll just kind of everything comes tumbling out and eventually i'll just ask them well does that make you feel good or like is there anything that you would like to change like how would you like to see your relationship 
And then I kind of make them come up with where they're at. And so if they're at a place where they're like, yeah, I want to change, then that's great. Then that's when you go in and you can give them some solutions. But if they're like, well, I don't love it, but this is where I'm at. It's like, okay, well, then I'm here to talk to you whenever you want about it. So you meet them where they're at. You don't push further than where they're willing to go. Because some people are not really ready for change yet, but maybe you've done something just by helping them to acknowledge that there's something there for them to think about. But I think that it absolutely doesn't work when you try to tell them. That, no. By the way, I think right. that is 100% the best way to deal with teenagers. Yeah. Because right. I notice when I ask an open-ended, like, all right, so you know if you say the wrong thing to a teenager, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> they are done They're with you. Out. They will cut you like bad bangs. <laughs> <laughs> bad bangs. I love That's, it. So, um, so sometimes when I'm with my, my oldest daughter, I, you know, something will come up and I'll, uh, if I ask the wrong question, so I'll say like, I'll turn around. Well, I don't know. What do you think you should do? Mm-hmm. Those. Oh, I don't mm-hmm. think I realized I was doing that with her. But that's when I do the best with her. And when I start to yeah. give her, she goes, oh, "Mom." Right. If you're like, I think you should do this. Like Can't immediately, there's a reason why she shouldn't do that. Right. Even if she agrees with it. Yeah. Yeah. But you it's so great to really. You can ask the open-ended questions, and eventually. It gets there. It and gets you just, there. You just listen. Like mm-hmm. so, instead of like making comments, you just say, "Mm-hmm." And, and then what else? Like, and then what do you think? They just keep going and you learn so much about the person and like their thought process. And and I think that's where they get some of their independence too, right? Eventually they learn like independent thinking and critical thinking. And like that's all, that's like, that's really what human beings need to develop when they go into high school and college. Like they're learning how to think for themselves. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, that luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. Well, as you know, you can't put a price tag on your stories, but now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell it or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Isn't that so cool? And then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? Well, you already knew that one was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. And once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. It seems the most difficult self-sabotager to me intuitively would be the person who thinks they're a victim. That yeah. they have no responsibility yes. in their failure, and yes. it's ha- it's some it's happening to them. Mm-hmm. Not they have any part in it at all. Yeah, because I always I've learned to think that if something's not going my way, it's something I'm doing. Right. What am I doing? Stop doing it. Don't evaluate. It, move forward. Don't you know? Don't s- suck it up. Don't get emotional about it. Mm-hmm. Go on. But what do you do with the person who's such the victim personality? Who yeah. even it, even by their if you start to ask them these open ended questions, they almost think you're blaming them mm. for it. They're so victimized and yeah. and victim. They're such they have victim tendencies. Yeah, they're the toughest ones. Yeah, it's a really good question because when you have that victim mentality, then mm-hmm. you don't feel like you have any kind of agency in your own life. So then, of course, when bad things happen to you, you're like, well, that's just the way my life goes because mm-hmm. this is kind of how pitiful it is. And you just kind of wallow in that. And everything that does happen from there that's not good, you then use it to reinforce that idea, mm-hmm. right? And so until that person can recognize that you can make change and there's something that you can do, even if bad things did really happen to mm-hmm. this person. I mean, sometimes people who have that victim mentality, they that's just a person 
personality. And sometimes they have that victim mentality because maybe there's trauma in the past. But whatever the case, if they continue to be in that passive role, nothing will change because they always kind of feel like they're only reacting and not being able to be proactive. Exactly. So how do you tell a person like that to change? I think, you know, one of the most powerful things that I've um, used to help people who have that mentality is try my best to like link them up to like vignettes or people who like have been similar to them Mm. and have been different once they've taken control of one aspect. And so I think that people who have that victim mentality tend to feel overwhelmed very easily. Mm -hmm. So you can't tell them like, everything's under your control, like do everything now, like they literally can compartmentalize only one thing at a time. And that's fine. But I feel like there's a level of like social connectedness that all of us are craving, even those victims um, who sort of see themselves as sort of being the outcast and problematic. So if you can link them to a story, a person that like, hey, this person was just like you, and then they did this one thing. And this is how their life changed. Like, So that's how I know this can work for you. Sometimes even those personal stories and personal appeals are more important to instill upon these people than like the science because the science is there. But, you know, statistics don't persuade people. Stories and emotions do. And so I think that that's the easiest way I can get to people who kind of adopt that mentality and think that they're all alone in the universe or the only person who's ever yeah. been through that. So give them ex- almost inspiring role models or yeah. people that can inspire them to get past their victim mentality. Yeah, yeah right. That's good. Because <clears throat> we have a – I don't. will Nikki listen to this? Our son? Uh, no, no. We have a son who no. – He's he's got a very nice life. He's our son, and he's a very <laughs> sweet boy. But he's, he's very, a really really good kid. He's amazing. Yeah, but, and he's really oh, he's such a nice honest boy. But mm-hmm. like everyone loves this kid. Yeah, and so we say he really wants to do well in school this year. For example, and. He will self sabotage. He said it last he's, night. He was leaving the bathroom, and he goes, "Well, I'm gonna try." There, you know, and it's like you've already given up. He's already, yeah, he's already given up, and he will wait to the last minute. He will make sure that he doesn't know the material, isn't prepared. It's a self-sabotaging. Mm. Like he will, he will ensure that he's not going to do well. Yeah. What the heck? Not always. He goes through. It's yeah. interesting. He goes through phases? phases where he's on it. He feels good. He feels successful, and then he'll like not pay attention. So he'll have like a couple of bad, mm-hmm. you know, grades mixed in the grades. So he's very inconsistent in that way. And then I think when the pressure's on at the end, when he's got to pull it together for the final, let's he, say, he can't. He can't because there's too right. much pressure. So he'll just let himself off the hook knowing that it's not going to like he'll right. I remember he was going into standardized testing or something and before, before he walked in he goes well I don't test well so right well it's so interesting too because I know a lot of people who you know very smart very lovable like obviously capable and they'll do that like that's kind of the pattern and I and I think like the root of that is you know if you try and you fail then you've tried and failed but if you've been inconsistent and you fail it's like well I didn't study so that's how it is you know it's so crazy that's the problem yeah 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 I mean his favorite thing to say after a test is it was impossible. It had nothing to do with the material, and nobody knew any of the answers. Mm-hmm. As or, if or they didn't give us what was on the test. Yeah. Like there's always an excuse, but it's all yeah. it, the, before the test is really where the self sabotaging yeah. comes. Yeah. yeah, but you know sometimes like success is frightening to, to you know in some situations and to some people because 
what happens if you, well, first, what happens if you fail, like just like we talked about earlier, but also what happens when you achieve the success? Then it's the next level mm -hmm. and the next level and the next level. And at some point you're going to fail, right? I mean, that's the fear, I think. That's the fear that like you're not going to be able to keep up that momentum. Right. And I've seen people do that, not just with careers or school, but like with diet and health. It's like, oh, well, now I'm at my goal weight, but like, that's a lot of work to keep it here. Yeah. And all of a sudden they like go all the way back and it's like, what happened? But it's like, there's less expectations and like expectations are really stressful for some people. So before we have to go, um, just keep it a little personal for a second. He does the same thing with tennis. So he's a really mm -hmm. good tennis player. But like last year on the courts when he was playing matches, I remember he had, he played, he was a freshman on the varsity team. Mm -hmm. And so he played and this guy he was playing was a senior on the opposing and very, very good. And he didn't, he lost. And, mm. but then he was going to the next match and he was like, well, I'm not going to win it. And he already had the defeatist attitude. I go, it's a new yeah, game. We're starting, right. this is a fresh thing. It has nothing, that one's over. Right. Got to start fresh and go to the next one. How do you talk to someone like that in the moment? Cause I have tried a few different things to sort of get through like mm -hmm. right before like what is that pep talk what does that look like because yeah. i'm weirdly like i me with testing like our son i was the same exact way mm -hmm. i wasn't an academic like that and i i would let myself off the hook 100 percent. but in yeah. any other aspect of my life i'm a game day player you right. turn on the camera i'm on we right. have to go into a meeting i'm ready right yeah. so totally. so yeah. but what is that what does that pep talk look like? You know, I think about the research with Carol Dweck. I don't know if you guys were familiar with when she does the study on third graders, these unsuspecting third graders, where basically they were given two assignments. And um, it was the same exact assignment. But for one half of the students, they said to the students, you know, just just try hard. Like I, they kind of rewarded them for their effort. Like you're trying so hard. I love how hard you're trying. And then with the other half of the students, you're so smart. You're so capable. <sighs> like you're brilliant. And, and it was interesting because at the end of that experiment, the people who were being rewarded for their efforts only did way better on mm. the assignment and got more answers right than the people who were told they were smart. Because once you have something that somebody says about you, like you're talented, you're then you're like, okay, but... I don't want anyone to ever think that I'm not talented. And so then like the second part of the study was that they then gave them harder assignments to do versus like the same exact level. They're like, okay, here's like the third grade math and here's the fifth grade math. Like, which one do you want to do? And for the people who were told that they were smart, they just said, I'll just do more third grade math. And for the people who, you know, you just said, just keep trying as long as you're trying your best. That's cool. They all chose the fifth grade math. So it's interesting that like, if somebody is capable and talented, if they've been like rewarded for that by teachers or coaches, then it's almost like that can also hold them back mm. from trying harder. And so so I think the message has to kind of be more about the effort. Like as long as you put in your full effort, I don't even care if you win. You yeah. know, who cares if you win or not? I don't care. But like, try your best, like have fun and try your best. Like, that's it. You know, like it can't, it can't be as achievement oriented, but that's that. so hard to do. We do that yeah, with but them. We have to, we have to do that more. I always mm -hmm. tell them, look, I made it to where I made it because I'm a grinder. Right. You worked hard for it. But I think that did. puts pressure too. And that's another... I think sometimes. I think it depends on how you say it, right? And I don't know what like his peers are saying to him or what his coaches are saying to him. Also, like in addition to what you guys are saying. So I think there's so many messages, right? So you guys are telling him try hard, but I don't know if anybody else at school is saying something like, you're so smart, like you're so capable. How come you didn't get an A this time? Because I know how smart you are like that. I don't think anyone's saying that. But, no. you know what? But, <laughs> but you know what I love what you were saying before is like looking at different aspects of your life and applying the things you're doing well mm -hmm. and 
making that the example for other aspects of your life. For example, yeah. like he's been now training for tennis. He had this new coach all summer mm. and he went to the first thing back at school and he came home and he was so overly confident. Now he's like, I played, <laughs> I've never heard him say this before. I played so well. I was on yeah. fire, right? I don't he, like that. I was glad that he felt confident because I think the truth is he saw that being so consistent with his playing mm-hmm. all summer, it wasn't like a random game. Yeah. He trained all summer. He played yeah. three, four yeah. days a week, and there and got was the a result. result. And he got the result. He got the result, and he yeah. stopped self-sabotaging. He didn't go in yeah. and self-sabotage. He felt confident. He was yeah. ready, and he's got to do the same thing in other aspects. Yeah, of and that, that's, that's a good point. It's sort of like almost like using the aspect of yourself that doesn't self-sabotage as much like that's your strength right and like trying to use that same message and that same technique over areas that you feel a little less confident about and i think that that's a great great way to approach it i mean i i always tell people that you know it doesn't matter how smart you are eventually you have to work hard too like you can't just rest on your laurels and maybe it's okay when you're 10 or you're 15 but it won't be okay when you're 25 or 30 and like everybody who's gotten somewhere they work you know they work hard no matter how smart or how not smart they are and so the book is called stop self-sabotage six steps to unlock your true motivation harness your willpower and get out of your own way by the way so fascinating dr judy ho thank you so much for being here tell everyone you can buy the book anywhere books are sold it's really fabulous um tell everyone how to find you on social media okay so they can find me at dr judy ho that's d-r-j-u-d-y-h-o on twitter and instagram or they can visit my website at drjudyho.com thank you so much for being here thank you it's been so lovely to chat with you guys i love her she's so bright and so enjoyable to listen to but so practical That's can we get her like to come it. over to our house now well can we just like hire her to talk to our kids <laughs> <laughs> hi judy can you raise our kids for us perfect yeah, yeah. hey you guys thank you so much for listening this was an incredible episode so much fun we will see you next week Bye. thanks for listening to dr and mrs guinea pig with terry and heather dubrow download new episodes every week on the podcast one app itunes or at podcast one.com